Hi, this is Lisa Davis, and welcome to another episode of Talk Healthy Today. The show provides you with the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. People tell me listening to the show is like overhearing two friends talking about really incredible health topics that you want to know about. I like to really get to know my guests and I'd like you to get to know them as well. So we delve really deeply into topics and I like to share some personal anecdotes as well. To make sure you never miss an episode of Talk Healthy Today, be sure to subscribe. Also rate and review. Wouldn't it be great if there was one health book out there that actually addressed rest your whole body, mind, spirit. Well, let me tell you, there is. It is called Clean Eating Dirty Sex. It is not about dirty sex. It is a play off the word clean. Central superfoods and aphrodisiac practices for ultimate sexual health and connection. This book is a healthy lifestyle guide. There are over 40 top experts from functional medicine physicians to registered dietitians to exercise physiologists to psychologists, sexologists, all engaged to help you live your happiest, healthiest life. There are over 50 fantastic, healthy, and delicious recipes. It is also a memoir where I, because I am the author of this book, Lisa Davis, share some very personal stories. Some are heartbreaking, some are funny, to help you get to where you need to be, to understand that it does take time to change, but that I am here along with all the other health experts in the book to help you. Don't let the title fool you. This book will help your communication, your intimacy, how you relate to your partner, how you relate to yourself. But if you do what the book says, it will also help you in every aspect of your health. So please go now. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. It's sold in local bookstores across the country. Check it out. Clean eating, dirty sex. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I get about four to six books a week. I've been doing this for a very long time. And when I get a book that I just get sucked into after like two sentences, it makes me so happy. This happened today. I read this book in one sitting. It is freaking awesome. It is called That's Mental, Painfully Funny Things That Drive Me Crazy About Being Mentally Ill. And it is by Amanda Rosenberg, who joins us now. Hey, Amanda. Hi. Hi there. Oh my God, you are so freaking funny. <laughs> Stop. I mean, just, I, no, literally, my husband's like, what's going on over there? You know, it's like every like three seconds, I am cracking up and I am a person that loves humor. And I, this book is, is brilliant. It's, it's not only funny, but you give incredible advice. You help us all not be such idiots when it comes to mental health issues. And I just want to just congratulate you. This is like a must read for everybody. Thank you so much. Yes, it, it really is. I want to say that uh, one of the things that cracked me up right away is you write. And by the way, I I took so many blurbs from the book that I could spend the entire time just reading them and they would take five hours. But I won't do that because I want people to read the book. But I'll share some of my favorites. Okay. I always thought mental illness should look a certain way, should feel a certain way and even taste. Uh, not really. But I'm pretty sure depression would taste like olives because olives taste like fermented ass and we don't talk about it enough. We're only five seconds into the book, but this is absolutely the hill I will die on. I, I would love to know, just did you always have a good sense of humor? Is this something that, was it a coping mechanism? Because it's just so, your wit is so quick. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I, 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 I've never been extraordinarily funny, but um, I, I guess my, my friends would say I'm, I'm sort of funny, I guess. 
Yeah, (laughs) I've never really sat down and thought about how hilarious I am. And maybe I should. Maybe I should do that. But um, I think you should. (laughs) Like you could take this on the road, like raise awareness with your humor, right? And get people to get their heads out of their asses when it comes to mental health issues. (laughs) Someone asked me in an interview, um, does your therapist talk about your humor as maybe you know, um, something that used to deflect. And I was like, oh, we've got so many more priorities before <laughs> talking about whether, like, whether I used humor to deflect from serious issues. Like, we've got so much to deal with. My therapist would be like, there's a, there's a whole list before we get to that. So yeah, I've never really thought about it. When you talk about the stigma and you talk about that you never learned, but it was slowly absorbed over time. You talk about societal osmosis. And that is so true. I mean, it, it, people are so flip with just being like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. Or are you insane? Oh, that guy's schizo. Yeah, I mean, even, like from a young age and from not just from kids on the playground, um, because they don't really know, but um, adults. I remember picking up cues off of adults and um, them saying, using words like crazy or insane or schizo or things like that. Um but also if you ever saw anyone on screen, like on TV movies with a, with a mental illness and, and how they'd react to that, they'd almost be scared. I, I grew up being scared of people with a mental illness. Or if you saw someone even exhibit any sort of um, heightened emotion out in public, you know, your parents would... Um, kind of take you by the shoulder and kind of protect you from this wild and unpredictable, crazy person, you know, so I just kind of, um, I just took cues off of people. But that coupled with the fact that no one talked about it. I think that was more, um, more impactful to me is that I had never even when I was younger growing up, I hadn't heard the word schizophrenia. I had only heard schizo in re- reference to someone being um, dangerous and wild and unpredictable. So I hadn't heard it, like I, I hadn't heard like bipolar until I was like in my teens um, because no one talked about mental illness. And I think it is the unknown, which is the most terrifying to me um, because yeah, there were problematic terms being thrown around, but that was the only thing I knew of it. The rest was just the unknown. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, I, I just was heartbroken when, well, see, I don't want to give too much away, but there was an interaction you had with your mother and all she could care about was like your record. I do not blame my mother for anything because you have to understand that someone told her that at one point. Exactly, of course. Right? It wasn't like my, my mother invented this permanent record. It has been <laughs> generation to generation and um we just didn't either we didn't talk about it or when we did talk about it it was like that it was like if you tell if you if anyone learns that you have a mental illness it'll go on your record still to this day not really sure what this record is apparently it is a permanent record that can be accessed by future employers future partners as well um future friends anyone can just take a look and be like oh she's mental no thank you like i I don't know whether like this permanent record was just like a big old 
Tinder for your life. But. Right. <laughs> well, you know what's sad is there's a guy that I know and his daughter is exhibiting some um, some issues or having some mental health challenges. And I said, you know, you really need to take her to see someone. Have you talked to her about it? And he's like, oh, I don't want her permanent record. I'm like, are you in the 1950s? What's wrong with you? Oh, my God. Yeah. So I guess it's still happening. Yes. A lot of people have told me that they also have had a talk about the permanent record. So this is not a unique story to me. My story is not unique at all. Um, it's just that, yeah, like a, a lot of people, we hadn't talked about it. Like I'd never talked to any of my friends of like, hey, you, you heard of this permanent record that we're all on? <laughs> all right. on? You know, like, and no one has ever, like, I didn't talk about anyone because I was so scared. That's the thing. You get told that if anyone finds out what's inside of you, it'll ruin your life. You believe it. You do not take a chance on that. I did not take a chance on a permanent record. And ironically, that's what ruined my life. So like, yeah, it all comes around. Well, you know, it's interesting because I want to go back to something you said earlier in the book. You say from the ages of nine to 19, I assume that depression was a bed-based illness of the apathetic. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just get up? Why don't you just get up? Like it's so easy to get up a bed. Like, and so this is again something that we've not talked about. So that I just had to kind of make my own judgment. And um and and to me, I couldn't fathom why these people would stay in bed all day and not just get up and change their lives and, and be happy. Because to me, I was like, you could you have that choice. You're just not making that choice. And that is incredibly selfish and lazy. And um, I don't feel bad for you. And you're attention seeking. And that was my attitude to people. And I think, and the reason why I talk about this in the book, I think it's the most important thing to talk about in the book, actually, of, of everything, is that um, I wanted to expose these, these, these kind of very problematic um, attitudes that we have towards depression, anxiety, uh, mental illness, um, because that's what makes it harder for anyone to get help. That's what contributes to the stigma. Were like people like me back then, and I wasn't alone. Everyone was doing it. It was the nineties. Come on, super problematic, and it was wrong. And so, like, I want, like, I wanted to expose that and show how wrong and ridiculous it is by making fun of it as well. It's so hard when people don't get it. And again, that goes back to that societal osmosis and the way we've been, we've been taught to see mental illness. You write, I was 19 when I felt my mind begin to rot. What was that like? Terrifying. So, um, I felt so lonely. Like I felt so alone basically, because I felt it happen. And since then, um, a lot of um, a lot of women have actually told me that around 19, when, you know, they go to university, this is when they started to feel like women who have bipolar two, this is when they started to feel it happen. And um, I didn't know what to do. And I just desperately wanted to hide it because I wanted to fit in because I wanted to still have friends and boyfriends and I didn't want anyone to look at me strange or, or 
you know, um, I don't know, exclude me from anything, uh, all this kind of like superficial stuff. And uh, so I wanted to, to hide it. And I was scrambling. And because I wasn't in treatment, um, wasn't in therapy, didn't have that kind of help. Um, I just tried to do it myself. And that was the worst thing in the world, because um, doing it myself meant almost numbing my mind to the point where I couldn't feel the rot anymore. I had to push it all the way down. I had to put it in a place where it couldn't be accessed. And once I found that place and it worked for me, I just kept dumping it on there just kept putting like a just I think I call it like a landfill just it kept going and I wasn't dealing with it and sooner or later that would come up and kind of bite me so yeah well you write about numbness and you say while all forms of depression are valid my favorite has to be numbness it's like being wrapped in a blanket made from cashmere and denial the most luxurious combination in the known universe but eventually that cashmere and denial it's going to crack you had a breakdown and you ended up in this in the psych ward. Tell us about that time and and what was it like when you were like, shit, I can't, I just can't keep bearing this anymore. The landfill is exploded now. What am I gonna do? That's that was so when I had my breakdown, um, when I was in the psych uh, in the psych ward, I was incredulous. I could not believe that someone like me would be in a psych ward. That was my attitude. Because I'm, in my mind, I was like, I'm normal. What are you talking about? I'm really normal. Like, look, like I, I, I have a job. I, I have friends. I'm not some wild, unpredictable, dangerous, um, you know, schizo as I like, grew up hearing. I was just a normal person. So why the hell was I in a psych ward? And it took me a long time to realize and to really understand that um, that mental rot and the buildup and what I had done to push it down instead of unpack it, it took me a really long time. But when I was in the psych ward, I was very confused. And I was like, I shouldn't, I don't belong here with these people. But I very much did. I really did belong there. But at the time I was just in so much denial. Well, you had PTSD as well. Your brother died uh, when he was 16. And you oh, teared me up when I was reading about you holding his soft, sticky hand and, and having those flashbacks and, and being at the funeral. And you I don't want, again, I don't want to give everything away. People need to get the book, but just some very powerful images. And I don't think people still fully really understand PTSD and how difficult it is. So you, the things that you were shoving in weren't like, oh, I failed an exam or, oh, my friend's an ass, right? It was like deep stuff. Yeah, no, I really couldn't care if I failed an exam or not. But yeah, I, but, um, I mean, I'm not here to judge whether people, whether you have like serious enough PTSD or anxiety or depression, maybe that is something that is important to, to, to someone. But yeah, I had, um, I had a lot of PTSD and grief that I had, um, I never sorted through and I never spoke about. Um, but that teamed with the fact that I just had a, 
I had a clinical mental illness. A lot of the time people, you know, in interviews, they'll ask me, well, did this contribute? Did that contribute? Did that contribute? And the answer is yes. I mean, everything contributes. It all goes into my mind. But the fact is that inside my mind, the wiring is just a little different and that I can't process things the same way as maybe another person can. That's just how I am built. This is chemical. I have a mood disorder. Um, and that is something I can't, I can manage, but I can't control. So even if like failing an exam was something that troubled me, like that would go into my brain and it would be made a lot worse because of the engineering inside of it. So, and, 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 and being unable to process it. I, I completely know that it's a separate thing. I was just saying that the stuff you were shoving in there in that landfill was pretty heavy stuff. And you have an in, you already had a mood disorder, so that's going to be even more complicated. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. Exactly. It was just, um, yeah, the, the, the layers were a lot heavier. And um, yeah, I, I definitely needed a professional psychiatric help. Can you tell us the difference for people who don't know between bipolar one and bipolar two? Yeah, sure. Um, bipolar one, um, we talk about bipolar one, bipolar two in terms of like the uh, extremeness of um, the manic state. So with bipolar one, um, people do have depressive episodes, but their manic states are quite extreme to the point where they can be dangerous and will need hospitalization. Uh, bipolar 2, um, depressive episodes are more common and you have, um, but you do have frequent like hypermanic states. So a hypermanic episode is not, uh, doesn't require hospitalization, but you still um, are rendered somewhat useless like for me like I have uh I talk really fast I sweat a lot I don't sleep at all and I become obsessed with um doing stuff or buying things um I I I will buy a whole lot of random shit for no reason um I will suddenly apply for jobs that I am not qualified for at all um or just just not in my range um I will just yeah I will just obsessively um try to achieve things um which is very strange I will have that kind of um like this sense of 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 grandeur like I can do these things when I when I clearly can't so that's that's the difference when you first came to terms that you did have uh, mental illness you had bipolar too and you start first started getting treatment what was that like it was horrible the medication was all wrong and it was and this again not unique this is actually pretty common because it's hard to get the levels right it's hard to know because the mind is so complex it's so unique to you that it is really hard there's no like one size fits all it's not like ibuprofen you know like have to it there's you have to be really careful with it and the testing goes on for like you can't just do it for a couple of days you have to like see how it feels over a week or so again this is my experience I do not speak for 
everyone with mental illness. But my experience was getting the medication right took a long time. There were times when I was um, severely over-medicated and would be falling asleep at my desk at work. And then I'd be under-medicated. And you could tell that from the hypermanic states that I was in. Um, and yeah, it took, man, it, it, it it took a while, but we weren't just treating bipolar two at that point. We there was a lot more happening with me in terms of um, anxiety um, and uh, psychosis. I was a lot. I was on a lot of antipsychotics as well. Um, so there was just a ton of of um, of medications happening at once. But with bipolar two, in the end, it was lithium. Lithium was the key to everything and finding that level of lithium um, took a while as well, but I'm there now, but it's always changing. It is always changing. Um, some, sometimes I'll have to up the, the, the dosage every now and then when it's like a stressful time, but yeah, it's always changing because mood, moods are always changing. You know? You have a mood disorder. It's a nightmare. It's a moving target. You know, it's interesting about the meds too. I, 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 you wrote in the book, uh, the first time I felt good on meds was a revelation. I felt like my mind could breathe. And when I say good, I don't mean happy. I'm not happy at all. By good, I mean in control. By good, I mean stable. By good, I mean me. I'd been at the mercy of my mind for so long that I'd forgotten what it was like to be in charge. That's really powerful. Thank you. I'm really not happy. Oh my goodness. No, yeah. I'm I'm really depressed, right? But like you wouldn't know. <laughs> Terrible laughing, but the way you said that. I'm laughing, but we're we're all laughing and depressed. That's not new. It's just that um, you know very few people like to talk about it. I guess, but yeah, um, my medication absolutely. This, this, these aren't. This doesn't make me happy. In the same way that I don't believe that I don't think like antidepressants make people happy. Um, but they just make them feel like they can get on with their day. Uh, but that, then again, I'm not sure. Antidepressants don't work on my brain. They don't work with people who have bipolar too. Um, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different beast. But with lithium, it just means that I can go through the day without flying into a hypermanic state or spiraling into a depressive episode. Because, you know, every day I wake up wondering if this is going to be the, the day. Is that a scary way to live? I wouldn't say I'm scared because I have, I'm very lucky to have medication. I'm very lucky to have health insurance and I'm extremely lucky to have a, a psychiatrist, a therapist. Like, I'm very privileged in, in those ways. I think it would be terrifying if you didn't have any of those. And it breaks my heart that like that is what it's like in this country that there's no access to to that unless you have like health insurance or whatever. But um yeah, I don't I wouldn't say I'm scared because I know I have a support system that if that ever were to happen. Like I was in a hypermanic state just last week. Uh because a lack of sleep is the main trigger to put me into a hypermanic state. And I um, I didn't sleep one night, only had two hours of sleep. And I woke up sweating, talking fast to like, I had to speak to my therapist and she was like, yep, this is, it's happening. And then I had to 
Then she said, you know, you have to do go take an Ativan. You have to sleep. When you wake up, you have to take another half Ativan, go to sleep, and then restore yourself. So I know I have a system where I can get back to myself. And I'm very grateful for that. Oh, thank goodness. You know, at the beginning of the of this interview, I was saying everybody needs to read the book. Not only is your story so compelling and, and your humor, but you give it people advice on things to, you know, what can help them. You have advice on anxiety. Uh, you say, if you're feeling out of control, look around you, find five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. You talk about suicide and talking about not asking dumb questions, <laughs> you know, don't be judgmental. You also talked about, you also talked about the curist, which God, those people are so freaking annoying. And why don't you talk to us a little bit about these annoying people and why they need to like get a clue? <laughs> um, I mean, it's just because like I, the curist is for those of you who don't know, because I could have just made up that name, but the people who uh, offer unsolicited advice on your mental illness so for example for those you know anyone with like depression will kind of know if you've said like oh I have depression someone will be like well have you tried uh have you tried exercise have you tried yoga have you tried drinking a green juice have you tried <laughs> the thing that my cousin once tried uh I went to a herbalist have you tried this there's these have you tried us and um I, I get so tired of them for, for so many reasons um, because there is there is just no way on earth that you would be able to help diagnose or any or or cure someone's mental illness with your suggestion given that most of the time you are not a mental health professional you are not their therapist. And those are the only two that I think I would allow to, to give <laughs> suggestions. Um, they're just like rando people just walking around being like, oh, have you tried it? To me, it's it's very narcissistic Definitely. that you would think that your little suggestion is going to be the be all and end all. Um, and the fact that you assume that these people haven't tried what you've suggested, because I have tried exercise and I have tried yoga and the green juices of course I've tried those things because I've I've wanted to to get better as it were and none of them work for me and I think that not just with mental illness but a good rule of life is that if someone doesn't explicitly ask you for your advice on their condition then you shouldn't give a suggestion I would never dream of it. That's I'm just like I think it's wild. I think it's wild. <laughs> I, would, I would never suggest like even as someone with a mental illness who has bipolar two who who who's been in this uh, for years, I would never even suggest anything to someone else who has bipolar bipolar two. Yeah, no, I because agree. They're completely different to me. They have like a different experience, a different reaction. That I just. They drive me mental. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what? They always think that they're doing like something good for you. They're always like, I just wanted to help. And it's like, don't put that on me. Don't try and make out like I'm the bad guy because I don't want your bad advice. <laughs> like, come on now. Uh, so, yeah, they always like want to like guilt you or shame you or do. Uh, sh yeah. 
stop it. No one, like, it's hard enough being mentally ill without you lot poking your nose in, just being like, oh, have you tried breathing in and out? <laughs> oh, I'm cured. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Oh, my God. Oh my gosh. Now we we only have about 10 minutes left and I want to talk to you forever. I want to talk about TV and its portrayal of depression and mental illness. I have to say Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is my favorite show. I was so enamored. I thought, God, they finally, finally, somebody is doing this right. And you mentioned as well that they did a good job. That is the exception. That is not the rule. Yeah. I mean, the thing I loved about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend ultimately is that just it showed that you could just be a person with a mental health and that didn't envelop you and that w- and you could still be funny and charming and have a personality and like your whole thing wasn't this mental illness. Your whole thing isn't borderline personality disorder. Like that to me was so refreshing. Um because up until that point, I still, I mean, even six years ago when I was uh, uh, still coming to terms with mental illness, I couldn't find anything, any sort of materials that I could connect to. And for me, I connect by humor. That's what, like, that's what I can relate to. Um, so seeing Crazy X and, and seeing someone who could be, yeah, just a funny, charming woman and not have her mental illness be the, her whole entire thing. That was so refreshing to me. I honestly just like love that. And also, I mean, I do talk about sexy French depression. <laughs> I love <but> that. <laughs> I, I feel that way all the time. And I couldn't, and like, I could never say to someone like, that's what I, I want that sexy depression <laughs> with that, with that. like I've been crying a little bit you know and then I'm like smoking and I'm just uh, I'm just so like troubled and all of that because you know that's like embarrassing stuff to say at the time it was like oh you can't you can't glamorize you can't romanticize depression like that and I was like yeah but me by myself yeah a little bit would love to walking around my apartment (laughs) like that I'd love to look hot instead of looking um you know, like the pile of rubble that I look like now, you know, I would, I would do anything to be able to, to, to be in a black dress and, and be glamorous with my depression. Um, but instead I'm under like seven blankets with like unwashed hair, and like a t-shirt from like 1992. Like this isn't the depression I dreamed of. <laughs> and, I wanted to that. and so when I saw that, I was like, this is, I mean, this is amazing. We can do this. I was so sad the show ended. I just wanted to go on and on. And the ending was so awesome, which I'm not going to give away, but people should really watch Craziest Girlfriend. That's that's an incredible show. And that My Diagnosis song I just loved. Reminds me of The Curious a little bit. You know, someone tried to tickle her with feathers or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that'll cure you for sure. But yeah, yeah I mean, there, and then there's so many like portrayals that I mentioned that aren't good. And I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is I, I recently interviewed these two incredible men, um, Charles Crouch and uh, Corbin Coleman. They did a documentary called I'm Good Bro, Unmasking Black Male Depression. If you type that into YouTube, it's free. It's a great documentary. And I just posted on Talk Healthy Today, the show that we're doing this for. 
And it was just fantastic to really, you know, look at it. And you mentioned that in the book. It's not just white people who have depression, but that's what it seems to be the focus on. Um, not a big surprise. Mm. And it was just really great to get their point of view and to hear stories and to talk about the stigma in the African-American community and and just the challenges there. So I highly recommend that. Oh, but the reason I brought that up is because his I'm like, how did this go back to TV? Well, I brought it up. It's awesome. But he talked about when he was first in the psych ward, his brother didn't come to visit him because he thought he would be like Jack Nicholson and won't flow over the cuckoo's nest. And he just visited. Mm. He's like, I thought you'd be, you know, in a straight jacket and a padded room. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm just in a bed, you know, just like talking to a psychiatrist. Like yeah. it, it was such a revelation. It was like, oh my God, I, I would have visited you sooner. I had no idea. Yeah. The insane asylums that are portrayed in movies have really, yeah. The straight jackets, the padded cells, the the unfriendly staff, the the fact that there's just always something wrong with the lighting in in insane asylums, I think I write, there's always just like one flickering light. I'm like, would I find an electrician for this light that seems to, even when, God help me, I saw Joker in that insane asylum, I was like, please don't let there be one flickering light. And there was, and I was oh. like, oh, this is so funny. Oh, no. Like I, I was just in a bed and the staff were amazing. And they were so supportive and lovely. And yeah, it was, um, I mean, you know, psych wards are no joke. They're a tough place to be. But um, the people who worked there well with me um, were really great. And it wasn't like a scary uh, place. But, you know, people for Halloween still wear straight jackets, Ugh, which is so wild. so crazy. I mean, Halloween is like a a lot of groups um but yeah like the straight jacket is still a, a thing that people find um really funny to, to dress up as it's tragic where are you with your parents my parents are not to blame for anything um and uh I still love my parents um so when people are like oh have they read the book have they read the book um there's nothing in there that um isn't true but also there's nothing in there that uh I find I think it was just like an important part of my journey getting here and my parents have had their fair share handed down from them from generations as I talk uh, as I talked about in the book the they also come, and this is, again, a lot of people's families. I very rarely come across like a very open, emotional, communicative family. Um, but these unhealthy and like toxic dynamics uh, are passed down. Family, but they, and they come from also, and I hate to say the word, but society. I don't like we live in a society, but like the fact they've picked up on the cues from um you know back in 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 their generation um because you know if you thought the 90s were bad then you know welcome to the 80s 70s 60s 50s like the way that we um look at mental illness and the way that we look at talking about feelings in general we've come a long way to now but it was it was really bad for them and I feel and I feel for my parents I have an immense empathy for my parents because they were probably feeling similarly to how I felt 
and they had no one to talk to. And they just didn't have the tools to articulate it. So, yeah, this isn't obviously anything to... I, I don't blame my parents for anything. Um, but it's good to demonstrate where this all came from, as in, like, way, 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 way back. And I want to break that cycle. That's what I want to do. With, with being a parent as well, someone's got to break that cycle. And I want it to be me because I don't want my kid going through that either. Exactly. Yeah, that's what we're doing with our daughter. We've been doing as well. It's it's so nice. Uh, Amanda, you're fantastic. The book is That's Mental, Painfully Funny Things That Drive Me Crazy About mean, Being Mentally Ill. Uh, this is available now. Yes, today. Today's Okay. Yeah. Got me. That's so excited. Oh my God. Everyone has to get this book. I mean, really, it's just phenomenal. Absolutely just blew me away. And anytime you want to come back, I would love to have you. By the book, I'm funnier in the book than I am in person, I think. I thank everyone for listening to Talk Healthy today. Rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Get Amanda Rosenberg's amazing book, That's Mental. Have a great day.